so I was a few years ago in Thailand. I had a privilege to do a mission trip out there. And at the end of the mission trip, we had the opportunity to, uh, a group of us, to go to an island uh, and, uh, and just, and recreation, just to swim and take it easy. And so a group of us guys, they were, we were sw swimming near the, the um, a beach. And as we were swimming, one of my friends looked at me and he pointed out to a big rock. It was like a big, um, about half the size of this room, and it was about 30 feet high. And it was about half a kilometer out into the ocean. And he pointed to this rock and says, hey, let's go out there, let's swim out there, and let's go and climb this rock. So I kind of could tell about, you know, I was trying to look at the rock, and, and, and the rock had a, a straight or a flat facade, you know? So it wasn't like, there wasn't a stairs. It was like a big boulder just protruding from the ocean. And, and I said, no, you know, let's just, let's just stay here a little bit. He says, no, let's go, let's, let's go and, and swim there. And I, I, I made a deal with him that I thought he would not carry through. So I said, oh, look, if you swim half a kilometer out there and you climb that rock and you're at the top of the rock and you call me, I'm going to come. And I knew he wasn't going to you know, follow through. So I just kept swimming and having fun with the other guys. And then about 30 minutes later, I hear a voice that's way in the distance. Hey, hey. And so I look and sure enough, there is that young man at the top of the 30, 40 foot boulder looking at me and I tried to ignore him but you know he says you promised you promised <laughs> and so I try to be a man of my word and the thought of it I said the whole reason we were out there is we were we were resting you know I didn't I didn't feel like swimming half a kilometer and then climbing I'm not a rock climber but I promised so I started swimming the half a kilometer out to the boulder and I'm already tired from the, the week of evangelism and whatever else we did. And when I get to the boulder, I'm exhausted because I've just swam half a kilometer. And interestingly enough, when you get to the, I got to the boulder, I realized that the, the water was pretty shallow. It only came like to your waist. The problem was around the boulder, there was rocks that were sticking out in the water. So it wasn't like it was a flat, surface. It was a very rocky surface. And so I started to climb. I started to climb the boulder wherever I could find a crack to put my hand and to put my feet. I climbed 5 feet, 10 feet, 15 feet, 20 feet. And something happened at 20-some feet. Um, I didn't have any more strength to continue. I don't know if that has ever happened to you in your when you're doing exercise or something that you're flexing so much that your, your, your arms or your legs start shaking. And that's where it started to happen to me. I was hanging between life and death, basically, and my muscles started to, to shake. And, you know, most of you can tell I'm not the most muscular guy out there. <laughs> so even to swim half a kilometer and to climb, it was very, very difficult. And I was stuck there. I had literally no strength to keep climbing, and I could barely hold on. I f but I knew I couldn't let go, because if I let go, I was going to fall to not just water, but to rocks. And I knew I would you know, either get a concussion or something. So at that point, 
it's, it's a feeling that it's hard to explain to you, but it's a feeling that, Lord, <laughs> I didn't come out here to Thailand to die. I can't go up and I can't go down, and it's only a matter of time until I'm going to let go. It's an awful feeling, a feeling that your credit card, your friends, your reputation, your family, uh, none of those things can help you at that point. It's, it's, it's a feeling of complete helplessness, complete hopelessness. It's a feeling of that you've lost complete control. And there's nothing you have, nothing you can do that can get you out of this situation. You know, throughout life, I've realized that that's an awful feeling. But it's one of the best feelings you can ever have. You know why? Because it allows you to realize that you need a Savior. The title of this morning was supposed to be, And Jesus Stood Still, but I felt impressed to change it to, We Need a Savior. Because all of us, we go through life, and there's different situations that we're placed into, uh, but somehow we always have an ability to get out of it. Even when we get sick, there's always the hospital, and maybe it's the latest technology that will be able to heal our cancer. But I believe that unless we get to the point as Christians where we realize that there is nothing that we can do, there's that hopeless feeling of, unless you help me, God, I'm going to die. Unless we come to that point, I believe that we won't be saved. <laughs> it's that simple. I want to talk about needing a savior in the light of losing control and more specifically I want to talk about addictions this morning I looked up the word addiction in the dictionary and it says this devoted or given up to something another definition says strongly disposed or inclined to something and I want to submit to all of you this morning is that we are all addicted to something and uh, it doesn't matter how pretty you look how nice you smile Every single one of us are addicted to sin without the grace and power of Christ. Amen? All addicted to sin. We all are devoted or given up to something which is sin without Christ. We are all strongly disposed or inclined to sin without the power of Christ. And uh, the Bible breaks it down into the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. But I want to read maybe a little bit more specifically this concept from Romans chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, we're going to flip there. I'm going to move quickly this morning, and if you can just hang in there with me. In Romans chapter 3, looking at verse 10, and I'll get back to my story a little bit later as I was hanging between life and death. Three, Romans chapter 3, verse 10. The Bible says, as it is written, there is how many righteous? None. No, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. There are, they are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher with their tongue. They have used deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed what? blood, destruction, and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. No, we, now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them 
who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference, for all have sin, and do what? Come short of the glory of God. We are told in Romans chapter 6 that the wages of sin is what? So I want to submit that all of us are addicted. You know, usually what we speak about um, and, and the reason I want to talk about addictions this morning is when somebody realizes that he or she is addicted, that individual realizes that they have lost control and that they need help. Are you with me? And so, you know, there might be somebody that's a drug addict and we classify them, a drug addict or maybe alcoholic, These are, or maybe a, 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 a smoker. These individuals we say are addicts or are addicted. And so when they acknowledge that they are addicted, what they are saying is, I need help. I cannot control this habit. I need outside help to be able to help me to overcome this addiction. All of us are addicted to something. All of us have sins that without Christ we are addicted to. And I know we don't like to classify ourselves with the drug addict or with the alcoholic. We just, you know, we're, we're a little bit higher in the rank, I guess, of society. But the truth is that we are not. Without Christ, we are addict to sins. All have sinned. There is none that is righteous. No, not one. None of us have the fear of God naturally in us. And all sin, according to spirit of prophecy, has its roots in selfishness, and in covetousness. And so for some of us, the addiction is blatant, you know. Uh, some of us may even be addicted still to alcohol or drugs. We think just because we are Christians or we, we have surrendered our lives to Christ or it seems we have been baptized that we don't suffer with addictions. But it's not true. There are Seventh-day Adventist Christians that do um, struggle with alcohol, with drugs, and with these kinds of of addictions. But there are other addictions that are more subtle and it's taken in the form of pride, lust of the eyes, lust of the fresh, flesh, and so forth. For example, some people are addicted to fashion. Fashion is, an, is a very ruthless slave master and, and individuals don't always seem to realize they have to keep up with the latest fashion which obviously costs money uh, and, and just and, and, and I want you to think this morning about maybe what your addiction could be. Because sometimes you may think, I'm not addicted to drugs, I'm not addicted to alcohol. But if I'm addicted to fashion, or if I'm addicted to, 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 to um, I don't know, to chocolate, it's, it's, not <laughs> it's not the chocolate that's the problem, or the fashion. There's some underlying issue with fashion Usually the underlying issue is pride and the love of display, right? So you may think, well, I just like to look good. I, doesn't God want me to look good for people? But the truth is that if you really look into your heart, you are looking for approbation, for acceptance. It's, it's, it's really selfishness. I just want people to look at me, to accept me for who I am. Instead of finding security and acceptance in Christ. You know, another subtle thing is like Facebook. We talked about it yesterday a little bit. This concept of how many likes I can get and how many comments I can get whenever I put a picture up. The, the underlying issue is not just, well, I like to let people know what's happening in my life. But sometimes if you search your heart, sometimes it may mean that I just want 
people to notice me. I just want people to comment about me, to like me, to be accepted. And it has its roots in selfishness. Instead of finding security and true peace in Christ. Now, just because you post pe- things doesn't mean you're... I'm not... I'm, I'm trying to balance this statement, okay? <laughs> so, every time you see posts, don't say, you selfish person, you know? How come you put something on, on Facebook? But... When I'm talking to you, I'm not talking to you, I'm talking to myself, not so that we can judge others, but we can look into ourselves and say, what am I truly addicted to? What are temptations that Satan is leading me in without the power of Christ that I know I have lost control? So Facebook, it can be pride. For chocolate, it's not just chocolate. It's uh, certain foods I cannot live without. It's, it's appetite. It's putting a God before, before God. And for some of us, it's lust, sexual sins. Sometimes that struggles. We are told uh, men seem to struggle more with that, but we're told lately that women struggle with that even more. Uh, Ellen White says one of the main sins in this last days will be the sins of sensuality. And, and we see it, the way people dress. We see it on television on how the focus seems to be all towards the flesh. Your addictions may be castle building or romance. Some ladies, they love, you know, soap operas. And a gentleman will look at that or, or a romance type book and says, whoa, what, what is this? But the concept is this concept of castle building in your mind, of, of putting yourself in, in, in a place God has never put you in. For lusting after something that is not yours. For other, it's anger that destroys relationships. For others, it's bitterness, something you want to hold on to and you don't want to let go, hatred. For others, it's fear. Do you know that you can be addicted to fear? And some people will say, no, no, I'm just shy. You know, when I was younger, I was very, very shy. But um, I began to realize as I grew older that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Fear and shyness sometimes can be based on selfishness because I'm afraid of what people will say, of how people will look at me. And so I'm very shy because the basis is me. I want people to accept me, to love me, and I'm not thinking of, so can you do something for Christ? No, I can't go up and talk. I can't go up and share because I'm too shy. I'm afraid of what people will think, of how people will accept me. There is also such thing as spiritual pride that you can be addicted to intemperance, video games. And some people will say, well, this video games, there's an underlying issue, the power, the, the ability to control. And that has its root in pride. Another thing is gossip. I know we don't speak a lot about gossip, but the truth is that it is sin to talk about others and to massacre their characters. And uh, if you're not careful, sometimes Facebook can also lead to that because you see what people are doing and then you turn around and you talk about what's happening on Facebook. And then it's, it's a form of gossip where when you talk about people's problems and errors and lack of spirituality, you start feeling better because you're comparing yourself with others. We deal with addictions differently. Some people, the way that they deal with their addictions is by downplaying their sins, downplaying their sin or the seriousness of their sins. And the way that we do that, number one, is that we compare ourselves with other people. I mean, I know I am struggling with, you know, I I can't stop eating this type of food. But you know what? The pastor is worse than me because he eats this. And therefore, whether I verbalize it or not, I compare myself with other church members and therefore I feel better about myself. 
downplaying the seriousness of my sin. Another way that other people deal with addictions is by providing excuses, saying, you know, it's my genes. I'm, I'm Irish. I'm, I'm Korean. I'm, you know, we get angry. It's normal. You know, it's, it's just who I am. But whatever it may be, you can blame your genes. You can blame your past. Some people say, you know, I was abused when I was a child, or this happened when I was a kid, or my parents never told me I was worth anything, and that is why I am the way I am. And friends, it may be true, and I know it's true, that our past influence our present and our future. But salvation has now appeared unto all men, the Bible tells us. And God gives us the ability to say, look, it is true that because of your past, this is who you are. But I'm offering you a new life. I'm offering you to change your mind, to renew your mind, to renew your thoughts, to transform you. And yes, you will have to struggle against the current tide of your emotions and your feelings, but I will give you healing. And once God promises healing and power, that He says, now unto Him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory. So what happens is, if you have issues because of your past, he says He's able to present you faultless. Now we have no excuse. Our excuse now is we need to turn to God. We need a Savior. Some of us will blame our current situations. You know, it's because of this work, co-worker or this student that I react or act the way I do. But it's the same situation. Is What we need to do is take full responsibility for our actions because God has provided power. So some individuals deal with addictions by comparing themselves within others. And think about that. Do you ever compare yourselves with others? Another one is they blame their genes, their past, or their situations that are current. And other people, what they do is they say, no, uh, my sins are serious. It is true that it is offensive to God, and, 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 my, and you know, if everything's continue, it seems that I will not get into heaven. But you know, what they start doing is they start changing the interpretation of the Bible. And so what they start saying is, well, you know, the Bible doesn't really mean this, or when God says this, or you know, and so they try to find excuses, downplaying the Bible. So either you downplay the Bible, or either you downplay the seriousness of your sins, or either you become honest with yourself and with God. There's two ways that you can be honest. I've had some young people at times come to me, and it happens every now and then working with young people. And they'll say something like this, John, you know, I know what the Bible says, and I know my sins. But my experience says this, I have tried, I have fasted, I have prayed, I have gone to prayer meeting, I've come to appeals. I can't change, and therefore, I have done everything I could in my power. I cannot change, and therefore, this, th the Bible must be wrong, and God probably doesn't exist. And so I have young people that were serious about God, and they turn from being serious about God to the point that they become atheist over this one issue of addictions. It's not because they want to be atheists, they want to believe, but the truth is that they have tried everything in their power. And notice I say their power. And they say, you know, I've tried it all. I've prayed. I've fasted. I'm, I can't change. I can't overcome. I just feel guilty. And therefore, 
my experience is the real thing in my life. Therefore, the Bible and God must not be real because I have honestly tried. And so I'm talking to you about honesty here. There are two forms of honesty. One honesty that says, you know, I have tried everything in my power and therefore my reality takes the precedent. Or the other one is the honesty that says, you know what? God's standard stands true. God's word is right. My sins are serious. And that's why I need a Savior. Why do I share some of this with you this morning? I believe for revival and reformation to happen, we must start becoming honest with ourselves and honest with God to allow Him to do a work in us that we cannot do for ourselves. Why do you want a revival and a reformation? Do I want a revival and reformation so I can stop feeling guilty, so I can be free, so I can actually feel, uh, I can have, I stop being shy and go out and share with people about other people, share with others about God? Sometimes even those feelings or thoughts can be rooted in selfishness. In 1 Corinthians 10.31, we are told, whatsoever you, uh, let's turn there actually, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of who? Of God. And so what I'm trying to say is this, is that revival and reformation must not be centered upon what I feel or what I want. Revival and reformation must be centered upon God and upon God alone. So if God, if God says, you know what, I will bring a revival and reformation in your life, but you will still feel guilty. Sometimes you'll still feel awful, but I want you to walk by faith and not by feelings. We are to say amen and amen, because my goal is to be able to honor and to glorify God. I want you to catch this concept. Revival and reformation is not a change that brings you to the point you become spiritually strong and can now stand by yourself. Revival and reformation is a change that brings you to the point where you realize more and more your weaknesses and learn to depend on God for everything. Moment you wake up to the time you go to bed to the thoughts upon your bed. We need a Savior, friends, not just from freedom from sickness, not just to help us with our schoolwork, not uh, just to be able to uh, help us find a job. And those things are very good, but we need a Savior to save us from our sins because without God, we are all addicted to sin. Matthew 1.21 tells us, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people, what? from their sins. So God wants to do amazing things for us and in our lives, in our everyday lives. But the true Savior that God wants to be for us is not just salvation from sickness and salvation from stressful situation and salvation from co-workers and salvation. These are good things and, and to be able to salvation from financial distress. What God really wants to do is to save us from sin. And we will not cry out to God to save us from sin until we realize the hopelessness and the helplessness of our situation, that we are addicts, that we cannot help ourselves above and beyond. There's nothing in us to save ourselves. I want to review something with you, and some of you know this, but I want to review it in the concept or in the context of what we've been talking about today. Um, 
why we need a Savior. Uh, many of you know how your destiny is determined, but I want to rehash this concept. We have thoughts and we have feelings. And the thoughts that we have combined with the feelings, what they do is that they produce words and actions. The words and actions repeated over and over again develop what we call habits. The combination of all the habits together determine our character or make up our character and our character determine our destiny. So I want to rehash this concept. So what happens is the first thing, your destiny is where you spend eternity. Are you dead eternally or are you going to spend it in heaven with Jesus Christ, right? So if we want to start to be able to have the right destiny, we need to start at the beginning. So the thoughts and the feelings combined produce what? Actions and what? Words. So the thoughts and the feelings combined produce words and actions. The combination of the words and actions produce what? Habits. So habits is made up of repeated words and actions. Habits combined is your character. And your character is the only thing you take to heaven or you don't end up going to heaven. You understand what I mean? So if I want to start changing my character, or first of all, change my destiny, I need to change my character. If I want to change my character, I need to change my habits. If I want to change my habits, I need to change my words and my actions. And this is the problem. The problem is when you start realizing that you have an addiction, when you start, and that is good, that is the first step. The first step to realize, look, without God's help, I am addicted to this sin or these sins. I cannot overcome by myself. I have tried. I have tried. It is helpless. It is hopeless. I need a Savior. And some of us, what we try to do is we try to focus on our words and our actions to be able to change those things. But that is not where the focus ought to be. Because the words and the actions are produced by something. What are they? My thoughts and my feelings. And so if I want to start having victory, if I want to allow Christ to give me power to overcome, I must not focus on my destiny or my character or my habits or my words or my actions and not even on my feelings. I need to start focusing on my thoughts. Why do I say not feelings? We are told in a pen of inspiration that Satan has access to our feelings. You know, sometimes he makes us feel good. Sometimes, you know, this is just something that in the great controversy, God has allowed him to have access to. That's why sometimes you can kneel down, you can pray, you can ask forgiveness, you can get up from your knees and you still feel guilty. But it doesn't matter how you feel because we're not called to walk by feelings. We're called to walk by faith. And so when I get up, I believe I'm forgiven regardless of how I feel. And you know, the more that you walk by faith, the more that God allows your feelings to align with it, your faith. There's a quote here in 5 Testimony, page 310. It says, this is Ellen White talking to someone. It says, your imagination was not given you to be allowed to run riot and have its own way without any effort at restraint or discipline. If the thoughts are wrong, the feelings will be wrong. And the thoughts and feelings combined make up the moral character. Another place, she says, this is historical sketches 
uh, page 146 says, the adversary of souls is not permitted to read the thoughts of man. I don't know if you know, but Satan cannot read your thoughts. But he is a keen observer and he marks the words and actions because that's the only thing that he can see. He can't see your thoughts and feelings, but he can see your words and your actions. So he marks them down and skillfully adapts his temptations, addictions, accordingly. If all would labor to repress sinful actions, no, to repress sinful thoughts and feelings, giving them no expression in words and actions, Satan would be defeated. For he would not know how to prepare his temptations to meet their cases. I want to read that one last time. It says, The adversary of souls is not permitted to read the thoughts of man, but he is a keen observer and he marks the words and actions and skillfully adapts his temptations accordingly. If all would labor to repress sinful thoughts and feelings, giving them no expression in words or acts, Satan's would be defeated for he would not know how to prepare his spacious temptations to meet their cases. If we want to change, if we want to overcome addictions, overcome temptations on a daily basis, we need to focus on our thoughts. How to repress or to control sinful thoughts? If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 4 and we're looking at verse 12. It gives us one little hint here. Hebrews chapter 4, looking at verse 12. It says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. This is talking about what? The word of God piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joint and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts. The what? Thoughts and intents or the motives of the heart. The word of God is what will help us to control our sinful thoughts. In John 17, 17, it says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy what? Word is truth. And so there's something about the Word of God. And so you realize if we need to overcome our addictions by God's grace because we want an amazing destiny, we want to glorify God through our lives, we need to start focusing on our thoughts. The thoughts, the way that we change our thoughts or sanctify our thoughts is through the Word of God because the Word of God is what cuts through right to your thoughts and even to the motives of why you do what you do. The Word of God is what reveals to you the motivation for your actions and for your words. So the Word of God is what we need to be able to get to our thoughts and not only it reveals the motivations and it reveals what we're truly thinking, but it also sanctifies us. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. The word of God has power to sanctify us. So if I want to overcome addictions, if I want to change, first of all, I suggest that we cut distractions from our lives. One thing is to cut out TV if you can, you know. Sometimes, I'll be honest with you, I know some people say there's amazing shows on TV. Listen, sometimes just the commercials in between the shows are enough to mess you up. So just, you have to realize what are some distractions in my life that maybe I can cut off to help me to focus on God's Word. The second thing I want you to realize is when you spend time in God's Word, the reality is that if you are a normal human being that is coming to God 
spasmatically, it's going to be boring. It's not always going to be relevant. You're not always going to get something amazing, powerful from it. Sometimes you hear testimonies and people say, wow, I had amazing devotions this morning. The reality is that many times when you have devotions, you will not experience a thrill of feelings and feel like you're in the seventh heaven. Sometimes it will happen. Many times it won't. But there is something that when you spend time in God's Word, the Word of God sanctifies your thoughts. And what happens is that you don't even realize it. It's like a child that grows up while you feed it, or it's like the grass that grows because of the rain. It's the same thing with the Word of God. Something starts happening where as you read day by day, you meditate and you start doing, spending more time in God's Word, prayerfully discovering the Word of God. The Word of God penetrates your thoughts. It penetrates your motives. And slowly but surely, you start loving righteousness and you start hating what is evil. Slowly but surely, what happens is it starts becoming interesting. Praise the Lord. You start desiring truly to change. And in the Word of God, you see most clearly His holiness. And as a result, you see most clearly your sinfulness. But yet, you also see most clearly His goodness. And it's His goodness that leads you to repentance. Well, once you experience repentance, there's many other things that God helps us with. I don't have the time to go through this today. But once you experience the new life in Christ, God helps you to realize that, first of all, victory is a gift. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 57. Second thing God helps you to realize or to seek is to ask for victory in Matthew 7, verse 11. Then God helps you to accept the victory by faith in Romans 6, 11. Then we are told to watch and pray in Mark 14, verse 38. And then we must submit and resist in James 4, verse 7. And then God helps us to be active in God's service, which is a shield against temptation in Luke 17, verse 14. And then God helps us to make no provision for the flesh in Romans 13, verse 14. But these things, these things that God helps us with, He's very limited to do unless we first experience repentance, which is a result of seeing the goodness of God, which is a result of seeing our sinfulness in the light of His holiness, which is a result of us spending time in the Word, which is a result of the Word speaking to our thoughts and our minds and revealing our motives to change us. If I want to change, spend time in God's Word, boring or no boring, because it changes our thoughts and slowly our feelings will start aligning to it. And that will change our words that we say and our actions. And our actions and words, automatically you'll start developing new grooves in your mind and new habits. And then those new habits will, when people will see you, they will see you a transformed individual. It's not that you have a different personality, it's that you have a different character. You manifest the character of Christ. And that will determine your destiny. Well, I was hanging there in Thailand between life and death. And I just knew I was going to die. And you know you guys are smiling because you're seeing me now, but I'll trust me, I wasn't smiling then. <laughs> and my muscles were shaking. And I could see my friend that was 10 feet or higher than me and looking at me and says, come up, what are you waiting for? And I was just about to let go. 
and I cried out to God. In my heart, I said, God, <laughs> please save me. I realized that the, my credit card, my parents, my reputation, all of those things were useless. The only thing I could, person I could turn to was God. It's either God or death. And you know, I can't explain it to you this day. I mean, I can, I guess. I felt I was hanging there for probably two or three hours. It probably was only five, ten minutes. But I felt power come in me out of nowhere. Just power flew through me. And I, all of a sudden, I just had the strength to climb all the way to the top. And you know, I was shocked when I reached the top how God had just answered my prayer in such a marked way. And you know, I, I almost lost my Christianity at that point because what happened is the young man, he showed me that I could have gone around and just climbed up <laughs> and I almost hit him. But, but then I thought, no, this was an amazing lesson that God was able to teach me. Not only that, you know what it really taught me? As He gave me supernatural spiritual strength, do you know that God can give you supernatural spiritual strength to control and to sanctify your thoughts? If you have never experienced it, I tempt you to try it. The next time you are tempted, against an addiction or a sin that you know, try it. Kneel down wherever you are and plead that God will give you supernatural strength to submit your thoughts to Him. Supernatural strength even to wake up and spend time in God's Word. God will give you that supernatural strength. Without Him, we can't do it. That's why we need a Savior. And you know, when you start tasting victory in your life, you will not start saying, you know, now I'm spiritual, I can do this thing. No, no, what you start saying is, God, I need more of you. Help me, Father. Every breath that I take, every word that I say, every email that I send, every phone call, every text that I send, please, God, I can't do anything. Everything that I do is tainted with selfishness, is tainted with sin. I need a Savior. Please, God, won't you help me? And friends, it's amazing as when you get to that point, how God can take full control. And we are told that there's no limit to the usefulness of one who putting self aside makes room for the working of God's Spirit. I don't know what your sin or sins that you're struggling with. I just know that you are struggling with something. If you're a human, you have addictions without the power of God. But I hope that today you've realized that God can give us freedom from addiction. Not freedom so that we can be able to stand and say, hey, finally I'm spiritually strong to do it. No, freedom in Him means complete, continual dependence upon Him day by day. But you must be honest with yourself and with God. Because for God to bring about a revival and reformation in our lives, we must first realize what are our sins, what are our weaknesses. Because unless we realize, acknowledge, and surrender them to God, there is no revival that's going to happen. If there are secret sins that you keep holding on to day after day, you can come to a thousand conferences. But unless you have experienced victory over your addictions, God's power is extremely limited. God cannot pour His Spirit in laddering power upon us to be able to accomplish what He wants to do in this world. 
because our thoughts have not been transformed. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.